this book is going to be like. He's going to draw me to reflect as well. This isn't going to be one of those things where I just read about his story because immediately I was going, ah, he was drawing you in to consider. We all have memories like this that change the way that we view things. So immediately I'm going, oh, yeah, okay, when did I recognise that, you know, there is evil in the world and when did I recognise that it is close to me? Like, Mm. when, when did that happen for me? Welcome to this week's episode of Living Fullness. I'm Stina Constantine and joining me on the podcast is Father Sean Burns. Each week you'll hear us chat about a range of topics from virtue to relationships, comments on cultural shifts and lessons we're learning as we go along and we are so delighted to have you join us. So sit back and enjoy being part of a conversation with a couple of friends. How are you going Padre? Well thank you Stina and yourself? I'm doing well. Good, good. What's been happening in your world? Cathedral weddings have been amping up. Oh. So I'm now at that stage of people getting married next year-ish sometime. So I'm I'm jumping on the horn and being like, hi, this is Father Burns from St. Michael's Cathedral. Just uh, seeing that your wedding is booked in for next year on this particular day and this particular month. And it's probably time that we started uh, catching up for preparation. (laughs) And uh, and so, yeah, just making those sorts of calls and getting uh, it all organized. So, yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's pretty cool. How about yourself? Oh, gosh. I feel like everything is happening all at once over in my world. (laughs) Sure, sure. I've got a lot happening at work. So I've been tasked with creating a faith-based counselling stream at Uh work. So just trying to kind of create all the processes that need to happen behind the scenes for me to be able to welcome new clients to walk in through the door. Sure. It's good challenging because it's also helping me to kind of refine what it is that I'm trying to do in my practice when it comes to Christians who actually want their therapy to be based in faith and, you know, their practices and their beliefs. And so kind of moving in that space, which is fun and exciting, but it's a lot of work, work, I tell you. A lot of work, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I'm kind of excited that we're at a point now where we finally are into another book study. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of work. It keeps you crazy. (laughs) Yeah. As the cathedral does for me, it keeps you crazy. (laughs) Believe me, I know what that's like. Yeah. Keeps me knowing that I'm human and (laughs) not perfect. And yeah, yeah, it's all fun and games. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So the book study that we have for this season is by Eric Varden. It's called The Shattering of Loneliness, which you would have heard us talk about last episode. So we know that there's a very short notice for you to kind of get into. (laughs) So over the next three episodes, we're only going to cover two chapters. So chapter one and two for this episode is what we're going to have a chat about today. Maybe some initial thoughts, just kind of what you thought about the book as a whole, Padre? One of the most brilliant books I've ever had the good fortune of reading. Oh, (laughs) sheesh. Bishop Eric Varden is quite amazing. He's from Norway, Mm. which you have connections with. Yeah. Never met him though. (laughs) Never met him? No. Never met him. I think this guy is a guy to watch. Mm. I don't do the whole ecclesial political thing. I don't do that. (laughs) But if I'm to earmark a guy and be like, oh no, that guy one day, man, he could be like <laughs> head of the CDF or whatever, like who knows? It was like that guy needs to be earmarked because mm. there's something unique about this guy, really, really unique yeah. in a good way. Yes. Right? You know, because I, I know that I use that word sometimes in a, in a not so positive light. But in this case, I use it in a very positive way. Very wonderful man. And, and the book itself really speaks to who we are. Yeah. Because the the tagline for The Shattering of Loneliness is on Christian remembrance. Like that's the subtitle for the book itself. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It does hit home about some really deep things about who we are. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It hits right to the core of identity of who we are and uh, who God is. And it's just magnificent. Yeah. Absolutely magnificent. Yeah. And he's actually quite easy to listen to as well. If you ever get a chance to traipse on YouTube, you'll find a few interviews that mm. he's done. Only a couple of really long ones and there's some shorter interviews as well. But he's really easy to listen to. There's something attractive about the way he speaks as well. There are some people that you can just be drawn to. Yeah. Um, and there's yeah. just something about the way he talks he's as holy. well as the way he writes yeah. that kind of draws yeah. you in. He's holy. I think that's the draw card. He's yeah, holy. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong there. Yeah. So I guess then let's start chapter one and two. The way I kind of describe the beginning of this chapter is that he starts by inviting us to walk along with him and he shares some of his childhood experiences and mm. one of them being this particular story that his father had shared with him about an encounter mm. that he had had and that was a very pivotal encounter or a pivotal story for him to hear from his own dad because it was the first time that he recognized that there was evil in the world and that it was near to him. He makes the point that, you know, it wasn't the first time he realized there was, you know, bad stuff that happened in the world, but for the first time he realized, oh, it can happen so close to mm. my life. And there was something about that that was quite profound for him. And I guess even just reading that introductory, you know, section, that introduction alone, mm. I was immediately starting to go, okay, I get a sense of what book is going to be like. He's going to draw me to reflect as well. Mm. This isn't going to be one of those things where I just read about his story no. because immediately I was going, ah, oh, he was drawing you in to consider yeah. we yeah. all have memories like this that yes. change the way that we view things. So immediately I'm going, oh, yeah, okay, when did I recognise yeah, that, yeah. you know, yeah. there is evil in the world and when did I recognise that it is close to me? Like mm. when, when did that happen for me? So immediately this is where, yeah. <laughs> this is where it begins. Yeah, fantastic. He has this beautiful quote on page two on the Kindle edition, which is, The world I came to see was a place of menace. Human life carried immense potential for pain, and someone had to answer for it. Mm. And in so many ways, this statement just sums up the entirety of Arden's work here in this book. There is pain, and someone has to answer yeah, for this situation. Yeah. And someone does. God himself, you know, he answered on our behalf, forever altering the destiny of man in such a way that his pain and his suffering have meaning and they must never be forgotten. Such an amazing statement for a kid to arrive at, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just this guy's a kid and he's like, yep, I came to see the world was a place of menace. I didn't even know what the word menace meant when I was a kid, right? And I look, mean, I'm sure he didn't use those no, words no, as a no, child true, as well, true. right? I hear your point. That's I can tell you right now, I wasn't thinking about this stuff when I was a kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I think we've we've got someone genuinely special here. Definitely, um, it beautifully summarizes the realities that he's talking about. That yes, this world has immense potential for pain, and things often suck. But there's something else that sits beneath the suckage. There's yeah. something that sits beneath the difficulty and the pain, and there's actually a reality, a destiny, uh, something that speaks to the identity of man. Mm. And yeah. Mm. So, what else kind of jumps at you then from these initial two chapters? Well, one that really makes me swoon a little, I suppose. <laughs> Page six of the Kindle edition, he says, When I realized the scope of sacramental action by which all that is in heaven and on earth is drawn into a single moment, the sense of things with a capital S held in the hands of a broken human being to be broken, yet holding, healing all, I knew I had come home. This is sort of a sort of summarizing a journey that he gives to us of how he came from an atheistic perspective, because he realizes the world is full of pain and goes, well, 
how can God exist? He sees Christianity as actually trying to avoid all of this, sees Christianity as being like a, almost like child's play in relationship to the very serious question of human suffering and difficulty. And so through music that he came to realize, okay, yeah. actually there is rhyme and reason to the world that I'm living in. And, yeah. and there's a rhyme and reason that's established by a creator who perhaps is not some vindictive creature, but maybe even a loving God. And, and eventually came to embrace the reality of the church, the reality of Christ in this church. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and upon embracing that, sold him on it was the sacramental reality, the drama that is, is Christ and his church. You know, the, the liturgy, the church's public worship is an act of remembrance. And there's a point in the Mass called the Eucharistic prayer, and, and it's the high point of the liturgy. And it's here that the church has this thing called anamnesis, this remembering the work of the Lord. But it's not an empty remembrance. It's a remembrance which reaches into the past and makes present to now those moments of so long ago. And in doing so, those moments are immediately present to us and they speak of who God is and who we are in the eyes of God. And it actually allows us to participate in the drama of that moment. It actually allows us to be caught up in and be part of that moment, not just passive observers of a play about something that once was, but active disciples, active players of the drama, if you like, of that exact moment. The Christ being made present to us in the Mass is this moment where everything that is broken finds its way to being made whole. Mm. This is the moment that brings healing to the drama that is human brokenness. Mm. This is where we find the meaning, the healing, the hope, everything that we're looking for as a solution to the drama of human suffering is found in the drama of the divine human suffering, which is Christ himself on the cross and in his resurrection. It's incredible. Um, <laughs> and, and the other one that speaks to me is um, on a page not too far from that. <laughs> mm. I haven't got a page number there, I'm sorry. But not too far from that. He says, um, a human being is dust called into glory. To remain within that tension is a challenge. To accept that my nature is defined by a sense of incompletion so vast that it cannot be repaired with the order of creation, not by any possession, any accomplishment, any relationship, is to embrace radical poverty. (laughs) (laughs) Dust called into glory. Now Mm. that is tension. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm a created being who is not satisfied by the created world around me. What I have in common with dust is that from the dust I came. Yeah. For all I share in common with the dust of the world, I am not to find my satisfaction in it. Mm. My end lies somewhere else. It ends in the supernatural. It ends in glory, which I cannot attain on my own. I am, you are, we are, paradox. Yeah. What about you? A little bit like what you were saying before, one of the ones, one of the lines that stood out to me was on page 10 of the book, um, to speak of remembrance is to speak of identity. Uh, And I think that says something about, you know, who we are and that we were actually made with a purpose, that it goes deeper than just like recalling a memory and just kind of replaying it in your mind that it actually speaks to who we are. And similar to what you were saying before in terms of, you know, to dust you shall return, 
on page 15, he says, standing before God in this way, I profess that I am not God. I accept the uncomfortable otherness of God. He is what I am not. Yet my being bears his mark. I walk this earth as a yearning incarnate. I just think that that's so beautifully put. And it also says so beautifully that there is a difference between us and God. Like obviously, though, as Christians, we can, we can acknowledge that. But when you're not a Christian, for you to get to a place where you can say, there is something that is different between me and something else that's going on here. There's yeah, something, yeah. there is like, I'm not whole. There's something else happening Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Particularly in our pantheistic age, mm. right? But as a Christian, for us also to be able to start at this point is also humbling as well. And so that being like, this is the truth of where we need to be at to start on this journey of actually wanting to be more like him in whose image that we've actually been made. So he makes the point that the difference between God and humanity isn't just something that's outside of us. It's not just about the darkness that exists in the world or the suffering that we see around us in the world, but it's also interior to us as well. So another quote that I've got from page 22, the hand that shaped me in God's image, that refashioned me when I had lost my likeness to that image, reaches out to me now to raise me and carry me home. To return to where we came from may require all our strength. Humility is not a coward's virtue. Its beatitude is found through an abandonment in faith that touches the heroic. It's that whole integration of the identity that we find and then also acknowledging that it's not just by our own effort. Like there is a sense of God doing the work, like that the whole idea of him reaching out to carry me home. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's just so beautiful. Yeah, it is. But he also elevates again that virtue of humility as well, that we actually need that to be able to be carried home. Mm. We need to first be in a place where we can acknowledge we need to be carried home. Yeah, absolutely. Similarly, you know, the way that you talk about that, we need to be carried home and we recognise that we need to be healed at Christ's healing, his saving us, that he is not satisfied to save us in this moment. Mm. He is not satisfied to give us new life for just this present moment. Mm. He will save every aspect of us, and that includes our past. Yeah. He will redeem not only this present moment, mm. but he will redeem also the past from which we have come. Mm. And so we, we must not pretend the past did not exist. We must not pretend as though our past, painful as it may be, something mm. I'm not even bringing into mm-hmm. the fore. Mm-hmm. Not, mm-hmm. not there. No, 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 no. Actually, God will work with that too. Yeah. He will redeem that too and he will turn the scars of the past into glorious wounds like his own at the resurrection. And, uh, and so he has this beautiful line that says, you know, only by recalling what I was can I acknowledge what by grace I have become. Mm. Only by acknowledging where God has led me and how he has led me out of that and how he has turned my scars into glorious wounds only by acknowledging that am I able to see where I actually am. And and so our past is, it's not to be forgotten. Yeah. And again, one of the lines he has in page 42, he says, chief intoxicant of spiritual life, self-righteous ingratitude. Yeah. Like that being the thing that can take us away from the aim and the goal and, you know, where our eyes need to be fixed on this journey. When we forget, (laughs) he says, when we don't actually remember, and he draws us back to biblically at a time when we were slaved. We were slaves at a time. And so for us to be in a place where we have forgotten that that is part of our history and that God has set us free. So that becomes part of our lack of gratitude that we have 
in today's day and age when we've forgotten who we are and also our history, Mm. (laughs) which we need. He also says at a later point, he learns that before God, merit is as nothing, that what matters is to know one's need of mercy and to receive it thankfully. So he kind of very clearly also says that this idea of us looking for affirmation and validation from achieving things isn't the way forward that instead we actually need to be receptive. Yeah, we can't save ourselves, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then later on again on page 57, I'm paraphrasing sections here, he says, the peace of heaven is only for those who will have preserved it on earth. I must seek reconciliation with my past. I must never forget my redemption. I must learn to be grateful and live a life worthy of the freedom won for me. Even the memories of time spent in the cruelest captivity can become a source of peace erupting praise. I think to me that speaks really beautifully of the meaning that we can also find in suffering. Mm. To be able to look back on our lives, like you were saying before, for people who might be wanting to leave the past in the past, never to glance at it again because it might be so painful or don't see the point in going there. When we can actually look at that and it can be turned into something good if Mm. we're willing to let light shine upon those dark places. And so we can see that he can actually turn the sufferings that we've faced into something redemptive. Again, going back to what he was saying before, we have to be willing to receive that light into those places first and foremost. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, that takes us to the end of our first episode of chapters one and two. Have you got something from it? Yeah, that's a starting point. Yeah. That's intro chapter one and two. So next week we'll cover chapter three and four if you'd like to go and have a read of those there. Quite jam-packed, those next two chapters. So have a read of that, then we'll kind of cover and for next week. I guess just before we jump into a truth being goodness as well, we haven't done this in a little while, but I guess also just to put a plug out there to Patreon supporters, we're still in need of a few more extra people to jump on board to make this podcast financially viable moving into the future. So if there is anyone who is listening who hasn't been a patron but would be able to, you've got the capacity to, would like to, feel called to, we would love to hear from you. There are some links in the show notes. You can also just get in touch with us if that's easier. We can point you in the right direction. Your financial contribution will help us continue to produce episodes each week. Absolutely. Yeah. So a truth being goodness before we go then, Padre, it's one for you. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's a, a podcast. That podcast is a podcast called Always Hope. Ah, yes. Yes. By a fellow named Dr. Mario. Yes. And Dr. Mario Sakasa. Sakasa. So, he's uh, ultra cool. <laughs> yeah, he's ultra cool. And uh, has some just some brilliant stuff. And he actually, latest episode on pornography, mm-hmm. did a great job. Just the episode is about like an hour and 20 minutes long, but it doesn't feel like an hour and 20 minutes long. You just you feel like you're partaking in a, in a conversation between the way that I think I think we hope that people feel when they, they listen to our podcast, right? Yeah, is sure. They feel like they're just part of a conversation between friends. And you do kind of feel that. Like it's just, it's, I think it's a different guest each week on his podcast, but the conversation is normally so free flowing and so open that it just doesn't feel like an hour and 20 minutes. It, mm. it feels much quicker than that. And yeah. so, um, but there's some really excellent points brought up, some really good reflective points about how to deal with a very serious issue. And uh, I, I think in a way that's also re- addresses some of the challenges that we as a church face with that issue too. So really impressive guy, impressive podcast. And uh, yeah. so. Can recommend. Yeah. How about yourself? For me is I'm discerning where to from here. So there's a few things on my plate that I'm praying about what God wants me to do. And I guess I gained a little bit of clarity after having come back from a speaking engagement in Aubrey more recently. I had another piece of the puzzle come into play. So 
the picture is starting to get a little bit clearer or at least one of them of where to for now. So sure. yeah, just the kind of the beauty of being in that space though. Like sure. there's something about the consolation you get when you do get like another piece of the puzzle and you see that you're on the right track. Yeah. There's something really special about that, but also just kind of being in the hard space just mm. having little moments where you can kind of reflect and go, yeah, okay, I'm tug-of-warring, <laughs> but this is good because I'm not tug-of-warring by myself. Like no, God's no. on my side. He's not on the opposite side tug-of-warring yeah. against me. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's really cool. It's well, beautiful. thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Living Fullness. We will catch you again next week. But until then, know that love and God bless.